Let's take it back to LA. We've got Yolanda T. Davis Overstreet and Hello Lena Williams. Yeah, Lena. Let's thank you guys. It's been a minute. Yeah. Been, uh, what's been happening? I've seen you running uh, for assembly. Yeah, a lot going on. Are you with us, Lena? I am here. Okay, awesome. Welcome Hello. to the show. Hello. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us and a lot's been going on and um, we're just going to dive in into it. Uh, first, making the introduction. Once again, we've, uh, you know, been behind the scenes doing uh, a lot of work. Uh, we're moving into 2021 and uh, we just thank you for again having us as far as we the people Black Lives Rolling on bikes uh, and walking, breathing and, and really just, you know, pushing forward. And I thought it would be a great addition to this conversation to have Lena join us as a co-host this month. She's doing some awesome. amazing work over at uh, People for Mobility Justice, which she'll be talking on tonight. Um, and that's, you know, really our connection, um, even though we do know mutual folks as well that um, are not on the PMJ staff, but uh, we all kind of come together at that intersection. So thank you, Lena, for just being willing to come on as a co-host this month. We'll turn the show over to you guys and uh, let you take it away. You guys are family. So, you know, um, <laughs> where you feel you have any questions as we're going through, you know, just feel free to chime in because tonight is really uh, just a conversation. Well, not just the conversation uh, with Lena and I really just updating folks on what we've been doing as it relates to um, Black Lives, um, Mobility Justice, and we'll probably throw uh, some Black history on bikes um, in this conversation uh, over the month, which is exciting. Um, you know, I, I was able to, this week's been kind of crazy, so I was able to put together a graphic today. And as you saw, just the graphic itself, um, uh, the two historic images were the Buffalo Soldiers uh, and also the five, uh, African-American women that bicycled from uh, basically uh, New York to Washington, DC, which was really kind of a profound type of activity to take place in, in the early 1900s. And the actual, the graphic uh, behind it, which is a map, you can't really see it in detail, but that actually uh, is a map that uh, in terms of the, the journey that the Buffalo soldiers uh, took. So. We'll tap into that, you know, as we're we're moving forward this month. Are you guys? Were you guys? Are you? I guess before we even start, I I don't know if you were familiar, which I'm sure you were, the Buffalo Soldiers. But um, in terms of the the women that bicycled from uh, New York to Washington, I have not heard this, so I'm I want to I want to hear this. Let's give us a. Give us and the listeners a, a rundown of, of, of this. Tell us, tell uh, us the story. Definitely, definitely. Lena, are you familiar with that story? I'm sure you are. Yes, I have some, uh, some knowledge uh, on the story. I know some folks who actually did a similar ride, uh, a bunch of Black women also. But I would love to hear what you have to share. Yeah, well, I've also been posting on... Um, Ride in Living Color, every day I'm posting a historic kind of snippet of uh, activity uh, and history of, of Black Lives on, on bikes. And these women in particular, just pulling to their story right now because we have so many, um, basically. And there actually there, there are historians uh, that are pretty much covering this story. And they bicycled from New York on a 250 mile uh, bike ride to Washington, DC. And actually what the connection was with these women in terms of kind of the, I guess you can say athletic background or the YMCA's. And so uh, one of them worked for the YMCA and had a connections um, with YMCA's in Washington, DC. So those were kind of the safe spaces that they were able to, you know, to connect with um, on their journey. And this happened in 1928. And um, so, yeah, it's a very cool story. It was a three-day ride. 
and uh, they, you know, they weren't necessarily on a particular group, you know, um, at that time. But I guess if if they were, it'd probably be something like um, a black girls or black women do bike, you know, types of activities that we have um, today. And they really just did it for um, the love of bicycling and kind of that outdoor connection. And I think that's something that, you know, we we tend to miss sometimes because we are dealing with so much equity um, issues and mobility justice issues to we forget the fact that why we actually love bicycling is that we do love you know for those of us that do it we do love being outdoors and we do love um the concept of the great outdoors and so even back in 1928 you know to see women that were stepping up and not letting fear you know, um, and, and really the racism uh, that was existing in that time uh, stopped them. And so the name of these, these five women um, were, to, to, to call out their names, um, are Mary Lou Jackson, Velma Jackson, Ethel Miller, um, Leola Nelson, if I am pronouncing that her name right, and then also Constance White. And, uh, yeah, so and I, I think just some other little tidbits um, on their story uh, are that the, the first day they uh, biked 110 miles from New York to Philadelphia. And then they spent the night at the Philadelphia Young Women's Christian Association, which was the YWCA. I'm sorry, make a correction. It was the YWCA. And then the second day, they biked 40 miles uh, to uh, Wilmington, Delaware. And then the third day and final day of their bike ride, uh, they biked more than 100 miles, arriving in Washington, D.C. around 9 p.m. And uh, one of the spots that they uh, went to that they had to see as a sightseeing was the National Mall and Howard University. So that's a little story on um, the history of Black women in this case in 1928 on bikes. And a lot of us, I mean, when I uh, first started the efforts at Ride and Living Color, actually, um, I didn't know their story. That was around 2011, 2012, when I started doing a lot of the research. And their story had not come across um, you know, my platform yet. So it's, it's years and years of uh, continuing to see stories come in, uh, the less narratives heard on uh, Blacks on bikes and our condition uh, to bicycle were much different than obviously um, non-people of color and, and non-Black people. And I actually did a, um, a webinar with uh, the uh, Sylvie, I mean, I got to get Sylvie's last name, right? I think it's Faultnick, but I'll, I'll pull it up. And out of San Diego and the San Diego Bike Coalition and did a whole story, uh, probably like about a, a, a 30 minute kind of presentation on um, African-Americans on bikes. So it was really great. It's kind Does of that crazy answer your that question? You... Yeah found out or you this story came to you in 2011 because I found out about the story of these women in 2012. Yeah, um, isn't that interesting? With, <laughs> yeah, like with friends about cycling. Like, oh, did you hear about these bad, you know, women back in the 1920s? I was like, wait, what? Like, no, like, what are you talking about? Like, put me on. So exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. We found out around the same time. And, you know, I, I think there was a lot of energy just in terms of um, really gathering the narratives of African-Americans on bikes at that time. When I Googled, um, you know, I Googled African-Americans on bikes around 2011, 2012, not a lot of information came up. So at that time, it, it did tell me that, you know, this type of research is needed and, um, and also that this was a time that more of our stories and untold stories should be told because it's nowhere to be found. But if you Google today, you know, you will find pages and pages of information, which really says something about bicycling as a whole, you know, in terms of uh, as an industry. Um, but it also says that while we look into each one of those stories, we'll see kind of what that common thread is that deals with uh, mobility 
uh, justice issues or equity, equity issues or infrastructure issues. And so, it, you know, it's a one conversation leads us to another conversation in terms of how we can improve upon our experience on bikes. And, and on that note, I, I think just kind of going into the uh, conversation of, of mobility justice and why I brought Lena on as a co-host is that I actually think we complement each other in terms of what we'll be talking about tonight and throughout this month. Um, because while I started on a bike and riding um, years ago, even as a child, um, I find myself, you know, dealing more in the areas of research, research um, community organizing, um, community advocating, um, and behind the screen a little bit more than I, I really want to be. But also the fact that I think what pushes me is also my community is not set up um, to to ride in the ways that you all uh, have had conversations over the past hour. And so, but Lena, on the other hand, is out there riding. Um, she's actually hands-on in terms of, while I'm doing advocacy uh, work and, and connected to policy, connected to um, educating community members, um, Lena is doing the same thing, but she's doing it from um, the standpoint of you know, showing someone how to actually use a bike um, and the safety, uh, you know, the, all of the safety uh, things that we need to look at when we actually, before we even get on a bike and a lot of other things that she's doing. So that's what connected us with enter into uh, people for mobility justice. I was an advocacy advocate that they asked me to be on the advisory uh, board. And that was Adonia Lugo at the time, Dr. Adonia Lugo. And I said, yes. And that was maybe about four years ago. And then um, over the past four months, actually, I've been acting as the interim chair and giving everyone else a break for a minute that have stood up and, and, and you know, activated a lot of work as chair. So right now, I'm doing uh, my part in, in trying to um, assist uh, people for mobility justice in ways that I can. And Lena, on the other hand, I'm going to let her introduce herself and talk about what she's doing um, with mobility justice, people for mobility justice, and just as a bicyclist. So it's all yours, Melina. Thank you, uh, Yolanda. Um, yeah, so I'm Lena Williams. And I am the bicycle education manager for people for mobility justice. Uh, so that means that I manage our program, but more specifically, we work with Metro uh, to teach educational classes through their networks. Uh, and we also have a bike education program uh, set up at PATH, uh, which is people assisting the homeless, their campus, uh, in K-Town. Uh, we have um, an education program that we run there along with uh, a bike loaner system um, that we have in place at PATH uh, for the residents to use. Um, I am a avid uh, bike commuter. Uh, it is something that I've decided uh, is definitely beneficial to my mental health, uh, uh, not only my physical health, but my mental health. So for about 50 to 60% of the year, I do bike uh, predominantly as my form of transportation. Uh, there are a couple months uh, that things get a little hectic in my other job and in my other work where I have to drive and I typically really, really hate it. Um, mm -hmm. And when I get back to biking, it makes me feel, uh, you know, a lot better. So sharing that, you know, uh, experience with others uh, is super, super important. Uh, particularly sharing that experience as a Black uh, person uh, moving through space um, in a very, very challenged, I think, climate is super, super important um, because we don't often see uh, a lot of Black cyclists. We do see a lot of groups popping up now, uh, which is really awesome, as Yolanda mm -hmm. mentioned. But uh, typically, when you're looking for information about cyclists, uh, the first people that come up, they're not generally pictures of, you know, Black folks, unless you're thinking about, like, the big people like Major Taylor or someone like that. Um, so, you know, putting an everyday face, you know, to the issue and to the work. Um, yeah. So 
through PFOMA for uh, for mobility justice and the BEST program, right now we're teaching classes um, virtually. Um, Everything is happening virtually, obviously, because of COVID Mm -hmm. and the numbers being uh, as significant as they uh, as they have been. Um, So it has allowed us to engage in different ways. Um, It has presented its own challenges, of course. Uh, but I think that it has also offered us uh, some some awesome opportunities that we were not necessarily afforded uh, in the traditional setting of these classes. So traditionally, you would meet in person. Uh, there would be a limit to how many people would be in the class uh, because, you know, that's based on how many instructors would need to be there for on-hand, you know, instructions. So typically, they'd be limited to about, you know, 25 people or so. Um, in the virtual space, I've had more than 75 people in a class. I would never be able to do that, you know, wow. um, yeah. in a, you know, in person, you know, sort of, you know, uh, scenario. Um, I also had people visit my class. I did a class on uh, group writing uh, because it also allowed us opportunities to look at particular um, focuses of writing or types of writing to focus on um, yes. and to sort of break down and provide, you know, a little bit more instruction. So. I did a group writing class and a night writing class. Um, and I had people join from Spain and from France. Um, and obviously that couldn't have happened, you know, couldn't have happened Correct. in the traditional setting without, you know, significant planning, you know, on their part. Right. Um, right. So, um, you know, being able to share this message, you know, about bike safety and getting out, you know, this crucial information because as I heard earlier, one of the guests mentioned, um, there are a lot more people on bikes now, uh, significantly more people on bikes for various reasons. Uh, I am a person who used to bike and use Metro for, you know, uh, some of my, you know, longer uh, rides. But uh, since COVID has started, I have not been on a train or a bus. Uh, So wherever I'm biking, I'm biking home, I'm biking there. Um, I don't uh, get in the shared Ubers, anything like Anything where I have to share a ride with people um, is a little bit too much for me in terms of just my own, you know, sort of comfort and safety. Uh, So um, biking has been the, you know, the cases obviously for other people too, because it's the environment that we can control. Um, So, you know, having the... Actually, I have a question for you on that, Lena, just from a standpoint of of the virtual biking as well as what you're seeing, um, the increase of biking. And I know if I just hone in, for instance, on um, the community that I live in, West Adams, and uh, in terms of educating, you know, our community constituents on, on the purpose, you know, of biking, on the benefits of biking, um, and how we are working how our community is changing and from a standpoint of infrastructure, there seems to be resistance to biking. So I'm wondering um, who's, who is this group that is increasing? You know, how are they um, increasing on riding bikes, but yet um, we have uh, many uh, community constituents and in particular in a community that is predominantly of color um, that are not gravitating toward this conversation. How do you think we reach them or what do you think is missing? You know, I think um, some of it in terms of the um, getting the message out there, I think sometimes when uh, depending on the message, the messenger is important. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people only receive information from people that look like them, that they deem their peers, you know, in some capacity. So, or, you know, a religious figure, you know, someone ahead of a, you know, church or something like that. So having conversations with people that they might deem, you know, respectable in some regard uh, might be a benefit to getting, you know, more people out uh, and active in that way. I think that though- Yeah, um, I mean, um, you know, just from a standpoint of having more effective ways of communicating with folks, for instance, and even sharing, some of your virtual classes or, or safety classes. How is PMJ, uh, what would you say PMJ is doing effectively to reach um, our communities of color? So I think, you know, we've built a, a, a really great network of, you know, uh, constituents. 
um, mm -hmm. through the work that we've done in the communities already. And a lot of our work obviously is in predominantly black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've built, you know, um, a trusting relationship with them. Um, so I think, you know, um, reaching out through social media, um, sending out emails. Um, but I think that, you know, obviously with the virtual piece of it, we are missing and we have to recognize and point out the virtual divide because there are gonna be people um, who don't have access, you know, to uh, internet service, you know, the capacity, you know, to jump on these virtual things. So it is a point um, of conversation uh, mm -hmm. and something that we are uh, looking to address in a more meaningful uh, way. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And you have a virtual uh, tour, tour, I guess, program coming up. Can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. Uh, but one second here. I, I see a hand raised. I just had a, a question about your classes. I, I was doing Metro Best for a while. Uh -huh. And um, I think I might have been looking into teaching it because I'm an LCI. Uh -huh. oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I haven't done anything with the, with the certificate, but I, I was thinking about it. And I remember that if they were, if you had seven people in a class that triggered, you had, a, you had to have two instructors. Is there anything like that? I mean, you having 70 people in a class, I'm just wondering, I mean, that, was there any rule like that about the size of your classes before? So there, there were, um, there is a criteria for in-person classes uh, that says if there are X amount of people, there have to be, um, so it's like a two instructor per like 12 or to 15 people, you know, sort of ratio. Um, for the virtual classes, um, you have to have about 25 people uh, for um, two instructors. Um, so for me um, personally though, when the class, so the class that I had that you know really large attendance for and why I say that and I brought this up because a second instructor would have been necessary regardless because it was a class that I was teaching on fixing a flat. And you're, in terms of the navigation of that and you're moving through all of these, you know, very sort of like um, specific pieces that you're showing someone, it's harder to manage the class flow, the questions, identify those things as you are, you know, focusing on this tire, you know, or this component that you're trying to share. Um, so I think that, you know, sometimes while there is a criteria that says this amount of people require or deem these amount of uh, instructors. I think that some classes, depending on how technical they may be and hands-on they may be, uh, they may just require two instructors just to make the experience of the user uh, a lot more, uh, you know, uh, friendly. Okay, yeah. And do people ask questions or, I mean, that's a lot of people. Tons of questions. We get tons of questions. Uh, people are, are wanting, and I mean, some of them are really, really great questions too. Uh, because uh, I, I really appreciate the classes that become really conversational, um, where we are, you know, just really having a conversation about our experiences on bike um, and just sharing sort of stories through that. Um, but yeah, we have based on the topics. Um, so the uh, fix a flat class um, gets tons of questions uh, because people want to know how to do that, you know, and they want to be confident in doing that when they're out on the road, given that the bike shops are now you know, over capacity in terms of their ability to do sort of like quick repairs. Right, Some of right, them, right. you know, have been, you know, super taxed uh, because of COVID um, and the number of people on bikes, people pulling out bikes from their garages and wherever, because they're also not available for sale right now in, right. you know, um, in the way that they were. So people need those old bikes fixed because they want to get out and use them. Um, so teaching people how to do some of the um, smaller mechanical things uh, become really, really beneficial uh, in times like this because it keeps people moving, especially those of us who are using our bikes now instead of getting on the trains, instead of getting on the buses, because we feel like this is what's going to keep us the most safe. Yeah, definitely. That that kind of reminds me because I know that um, that was the issue that Ade shared with us um, at Ride On Bike Shop in Lemur that there was a backlog uh, in terms Absolutely. of ordering bikes and 
did you say something? Did someone say something? Okay. Uh, and I actually, there are other bike, you know, uh, shops in the community. There's uh, actually one that I've used maybe for the past 20 years. I've actually bought bikes from this other bike shop over in Culver City. I think it's Wheels, well, World on Wheels or something of that sort, or Wheels on World. Or, and I actually just went in there one day, um, not thinking I was actually had, it would even be able to get a bike because of the backlog. And I actually about four months ago, I guess it was three or four months ago, went in and, and bought a more of a hybrid a giant bike. It's um, uh, to do actually a little bit more city cruising and uh, it's uh, the brand is flourish so it was a live flourish or a bike made for women and I've had a road mm -hmm. bike for over 20 years so I was so excited about you know getting this bike and kind of getting some of the accessories that you all were talking about earlier um, Nick I haven't done the grocery shopping uh, part of it yet but I'm looking forward to because I have the saddles to be able to put you know, some groceries in there. But I think also what stands out is when I ride in, in my community, for instance, along the Adams Corridor, you know, I was the only one riding um, uh, during the weekend on my street. It's a lot of construction. I mean, on the corridor, it's a lot of construction going on. And it, it, it is a little nerving, unnerving to ride in spaces that are unpredictable in terms of the, the infrastructure. So I guess, is that something that you really kind of tap into, you know, and, and talk to community, you know, about that and, and how those that actually don't even ride that much. But again, we need to get more um, black folks and brown folks out on bikes, but our communities are so ill-equipped. Um, how, how do you tell women um, or, or families with their children, you know, to get out and enroll and, and to be confident? and doing it. For sure. You know, I, I was going to mention before that, you know, some of the people may not be getting out on bikes because of safety concerns mm -hmm. or um, because of, you know, poor infrastructure. Uh, how do you? Uh, definitely. Um, but I think that for me in those, in my classes, I do address, you know, the situations and the conditions here in Los Angeles. Um, right. Because I am experiencing them. And as a female presenting person, I am somewhat petite. Um, so mm -hmm. people think that, you know, that means a lot of things, you know, about me. So I often tell, you know, women, uh, female body people that you should definitely, if you're riding at night, riding during the day, it's LA. Like you should always have something that you could use as a weapon, something that you can protect mm -hmm. yourself, you know, um, bike locks are really, really great for that. Like they mm -hmm. are multiple use, um, in that way. Um, but like not saying that you're going to have to, you know, um, you know, get to that point. But, uh, I was riding in DC one night, um, mm -hmm. when I started bike commuting in DC and this man tried to grab me off of my bike. Um, oh my so God. I've had, you know, um, very, very scary, exactly. Very scary, um, you know, sort of situation. So, because I've experienced it, you know, mm -hmm. I tell people generally trust your gut, you know, um, know as much as you can about, you know, the communities that you are riding in. Um, it's important to ride them during the day and night so that, you, right. you know, get a feel for, you know, what it's like. Um, but also, like I tell people in terms of the comfort of it, you know, mm -hmm. um, riding in a group is the way to get most comfortable um, on okay. the road, I think. Uh, because it provides a lot of safety for you and buffers. Um, yes. Also having to just, you have to be out there. Like when people ask about like, how do you get comfortable on a bike? It's like having your butt on the saddle. Like, you know, you yeah. have to be, you know, out there. Practice, practice. Indeed. Practice mm -hmm. makes perfect. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, many of the um, streets, especially here in, you know, South LA, over uh, West Adams uh, area going through Mid-City, Right. Uh, definitely over here in Lamert um, as well, like very, very poor, you know, traffic conditions, a lot of traffic, people are speeding. Um, so it does not promote a lot of confidence in terms of you're right, you know, being you're out right. there safely. But I think that it is something, confidence is something that comes, you know, to you through doing things uh, repetitively, you know, because you yes. build up your yes. skill, you build up your, you know, you know, you muster up this bravery, 
you know, after you continuously do it. Um, so usually sure. after any traumatic experience that I've had uh, on bike, I get right back on the bike. The very next day, the as soon as I can, I try to get back on the bike uh, so that I keep that, you know, sort of energy and I don't allow that fear to, to settle in me. You know, uh, I'm I, sorry, Nick, you have a question? From back before, I had a question about people from Ability Justice's mission. And also, when you spoke about the image of cyclists, is that accurate? You know, who bikes? So me personally, I've done a lot of research around um, cyclists and Black people on bikes. I've done a lot of presentations for people and had to look up photos and do research. And most of the times when I do these Google searches, they're not Black people that immediately come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, marketing and advertising. Yeah, you know, right. I was yeah. gonna say. So yeah. traditionally, yeah. you know, it's how it's been in terms of the cycling culture until you know very recently, the last couple years. You know, it was you know really white. We only have Aisha McGowan as the mm-hmm. you know black professional you know uh, cyclist, you know woman cyclist. So right. yes, the, the, the culture of the age, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. right, is mm-hmm. very very white. So, um, so, so we often hear that, that like the people who actually bike, you know, on the streets and, and commuting and going to work, they're not the same demographic of like the bike sport. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have it. We have bike, bike cycling groups, road bike, you know, groups or like black kids do bike, you know, which is a combination. You've had Jeremy Swift um, on your show. Uh, where they do it more for rec- recreation and social camaraderie. Um, but I think what we're also talking about are that our realities are different, you know, um, in terms of when we get on a bike, it's not just, uh, it's, it's more than just getting on a bike and, and riding for uh, leisure or to go grocery shopping. We have barriers that we have to, um, interact with and, and what Lena is saying is even overcome in terms of fear uh, or danger um, that um, black cyclists um, or, or black people in general have to encounter um, outdoors and the great outdoors, you know, that we too want to be able to enjoy and be healthy and lose weight um, uh, along with um, movement in terms of going to our jobs or our friend's house on a bike. But we have to second, I think those of us that are not riding in that capacity, um, those fears exist, uh, those traumas exist, as well as the barriers in our community exist. And so I think that's one of the things why I find myself um, behind the screen or on the phone or advocating is because I'm trying to get more lights on our street, you know. I'm trying to um, educate community members on the value of cycling. However, it's going to take them to come on board with us uh, to create environments where we can ride in leisure. You know, where I could, my kids didn't grow up the way I grew up. Um, Growing up in the 60s, I think the advantage we had in LA and in this community where we didn't have as many cars. So while we did ride on the sidewalk, every time we crossed the street, we didn't have to look out for speeding cars or traffic that was uh, going, getting off of the main um, corridors and going down residential streets speeding. And so I was on a bike growing up, you know, um, throughout this community. But unfortunately, my kids, um, being born in, in 19, my, my son is 23, my daughter's 18. So I had that fear that I didn't want them to get hit. So that that really kind of put a block and a barrier for them to get out there and ride the way that I did. And so I think that's what um, the the, the awesome thing about what PMJ is doing and what Lena's doing and other organizations um, like this is that we have to teach our kids how to watch for all these barriers that exist now, in particular um, traffic and bad uh, disenfranchised infrastructure. We don't have an, enough uh, cross traffic lights, crosswalks or lighting in our communities in order for our children to be able to say, hey, I'm leaving, I'm gonna go ride in the community without a parent most of the time saying, no, uh, let's put your bikes in the car and let me take you to the beach and you ride on the beach path or a bike trail 
versus riding in your community. Um, what, what do you have to say about that, Lena? Um, so I do, I wanted to also uh, get to the point uh, that Nick was making in terms mm -hmm. of um, the class issue in terms mm -hmm. of addressing who's on bikes right now. So mm -hmm. obviously mm -hmm. the people who are most marginalized um, have to use bikes as a way of transportation and mm -hmm. not necessarily just by choice. There are some of us that get to choose that we want to bike daily. And there's some of us who have to because we don't have access to cars. We may not have access to the right. proper documentation to get cars, whatever the reason. So those people may be more black and brown, obviously, that you see on the streets um, who are using bikes as a way of commuting to work and school, um, as a way of survival, um, right. and as a way of life. Um, so yes, uh, but it does not mean that the conditions that we face are not more challenged because this industry in this world, uh, in terms of the system, was never set up for us to really exist in the ways that we are. Um, so those are you know, the challenges that we have. Um, speaking of thinking about the safety of it, you know, just the infrastructure and dealing with the system. Mm -hmm. um, today is Dijon Kizzy's 30th birthday, his first birthday um, mm -hmm. after being killed by the state. Um, so he was a Black man biking, you know, through his community. So do we have to, we have to question whether it is safe for us? Um, some of us, you know, say, you know, there are many other things that are unsafe as well. If I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna get on the train, something could happen. Because as we know, as black and brown people, nothing guarantees us safety. Mm -hmm. Not even staying in our homes. Because Breonna Taylor was in her house, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if we have no guaranteed safety around that, you know, I, I guess I'm gonna have to force myself out into this, you know, into this world and deal with it. And, you know, sort of take up this free space um, you know, in the ways that I can um, and be rebellious in that way uh, because, you know, there's joy in that, you know? Right. So I think that right. there are a lot of people who shelter their children um, and want, you know, for them not to be out on bike. And I think that um, as a yeah. child, you know, my mom's fears, you know, stopped me from doing a lot of things until I had to sit with myself and say, am I afraid because somebody else told me you know, that these things could happen, or am, am I afraid because of something I really, like, you know, something that happened to me. Mm -hmm. um, so it becomes a, you know, a sort of a battle, you know, that you have to, you know, sort of address because, again, if nothing guarantees me safety, I might as well, you know, get out and do the thing that I really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really deep. Uh, I think that was, you know, it's a profound way that you have to recognize how you had to think, you know, um, and how you had to make the decision to do the things you have in terms of moving around in space all the way down to, you know, bicycling um, and kind of actually not being secured, you know, within this metal box, so to speak, you know, that moves around in, in our cities uh, where there's still so much racism. And, and discrimination. And it's, you know, we don't realize, I think, how much we are holding, you know, within our, our whole psyche uh, when we move around in space. And it's, it is just a wonder that we, we do it, you know, that we manage to still every day do it. And knowing kind of, you know, that placement or, uh, of where that fear exists, where that trauma, or in your case, and many others, um, cases, um, you know, the trauma of, of being attacked or, and or some folks actually have got hit, you know, by uh, traffic or they've been yeah. pulled over. Like I day told the story on one of our, our bike talk uh, conversations of being pulled over while biking black. Um, he had not done any, you know, created any particular crime other and the, the police at that time saw him and, and called him suspicious. And, and, and like you said, just from a standpoint of Dijon Kinsey, where we actually did the memorial ride, uh, was that toward the beginning of the summer that we did that? Or midsummer? Yeah, uh, it was, uh, was midsummer. Midsummer. It's just, you know, it is amazing that we get up every day and continue to um, advocate. Um, in so many different areas. 
Yeah, you know, I got pulled over uh, by police on my bike here in LA. Mm -hmm. I was on my way to a doctor's appointment um, and I actually was quoted in the LA Times um, on an article um, about, um, that mentioned these- Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that, yeah. The Mm -hmm. traffic injustices. Um, but yeah, I, um, I was riding to my doctor's office and the police officer, uh, like, um, where was this uh, Lena? Where was it exactly? It was MLK and Degnan. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was riding up MLK. Yeah. I was going, uh, MLK towards, um, the Crenshaw mall area, uh, because I was Mm -hmm. trying to go past the mall to get up into the Dons to drop that down over. Um, so I was trying to avoid a little bit of the traffic, but I was just riding MLK because it was a morning after COVID had already started. So I was like, there are mm-hmm. not a lot of people out. So, you know, this will be fine. Yeah. Um, and they threw the sirens on and mm-hmm. I'm like riding and I'm like, that can't be for me. Like, right, right. And then, and then he hits me on the, on the loudspeaker, like you better pull over. And I'm like, what? what? Like what is happening <laughs> oh right now? Oh my God. Yes. I was like, this is crazy. So he comes over to me, doesn't have on a mask. And I was like, officer, you don't even have like a mask on. And like, this is COVID. Like, right. he was like, you know, he's like, are you going to shut up or do I have to give you a ticket? And I was like, wait, are you what? serious? I was like, uh. I'm trying to go to my doctor's office, sir. Like, what's the problem? He was like, you didn't stop when I told you to stop. And I was like, I didn't recognize that I was just supposed to stop randomly. Like, like, I, I didn't know you were school? pulling me over. Exactly. I was like, period. I was like, how am I supposed to know that these flashing lights are for somebody on a bike? Like, correct, correct. I'm like, I'm like, what have I done? I was like, I obviously thought you were trying to stop a car. Like, exactly. What's up? Like, it was just the craziest, most bizarre. And what, know, what, did he, what was his reasoning? Was it his reasoning to pull you over that he obviously just made up on the spot because you didn't pull over on a bike? Yes, he said, because I did not stop. But what and was said, it before I, you didn't stop? Right. That I, I was it, I, 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 I said, sir, I said, so I get that you're saying that I did not stop when you told me to. However, I am not clear about what the initial cause was for you to stop me. In the first place. He told me that I had no right to ask these questions. Hmm. That he was going to that he was going to write me a ticket if I continue to ask questions. Here I was you like, go. Okay, sir. Yeah. Whatever well, happened? What, what, how was the follow up on that, Lena? Did you get his name and number and and all of that? I his, badge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I got yeah. his name and badge number, and I contacted the chief and um, that I've seen out in Lamert, um, and I haven't really, you know, heard anything back. Like, I don't, I, I don't think that uh, civilian complaints are uh, high on their list of, mm-hmm. like, addressing. Um, like, I, I also feel like, you know, we're talking about LAPD and, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they get to kind of run the way that they want to run, you know, here. Um, so some of us just, you know, have to be harassed in the process, unfortunately. So he gave um, you a ticket? No. He I just, when he said... He said, when he said the last time he was going to give me a ticket, if I, st- if I didn't stop asking questions, I just said, okay, sir. I said nothing else. And I just mm-hmm. turned to face the direction of the traffic that I was trying to get into. Mm-hmm. I stood there for another, maybe 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then I rode off. Mm-hmm. Then he said nothing else. He got back in his car. Nope. Or- he, said, he said nothing. He said, he's, I think he said something like next time you need to stop or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't speak a word. I didn't say yes. anything else. Uh, I just kept my face turned in that direction after he turned, after he said that he turned to walk away, I just rode off. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly, you know, what we, what we talk about, um, Nick and, and Don, when we talk about mobility justice, this is a prime example of, you know, how, do we move forward, um, both addressing the injustices, which a lot of us are spending time, you know, looking into that, um, along with how do we get Black lives out on bikes um, and uh, basically to know what their rights are and to, to ride safely, you know, and to keep themselves safe because there's, at, at the intersection of, of bicycling, 
Um, you know, we are also looking at the climate crisis issues uh, that exist in Los Angeles, that exist on the world for that matter. And we have to play a part. Black lives have to be on board with the lifestyle changes that we can make um, in contributing to help heal our planet. Um, but we're not gonna be able to play an effective role and play a part, nor are we going to take it serious. And actually, nor will we have time to really focus on climate change when our very lives, um, a climate crisis, when we are focusing on black lives crisis, you know, um, and that's where it becomes so complicated. And that's why we have to continue to have these conversations, um, both to educate each other and to get down to the, and really change, defund the police. And, and not all police, but defund the, um, and fire, you know, get rid of the police that are misusing and, and really are not a representation of, uh, of safety for everyone. We need, we need police or the police that we do have that value all lives and black lives in particular, um, in, in terms of what Lena has explained um, to us. So it, it's really that, I mean, that's what keeps me up at night. Actually, that's what kind of keeps me off the bike even sometime because I'm so you know busy researching or trying to figure out uh, you know, what conversation or what event or um, that I need to be in next um, to, to have these conversations. Um, I think that's what actually made me go back to, to graduate school in the later part of my life um, and have more awakenings in terms of the crisis that exists um, around us. And, and also not that, but that each of us and whoever's listening, that each of us has, has to really kind of get on board and play a role. We can't just sit back and listen to conversations. You know, we can't just um, share our, our opinions and not actually also be doing something. So I think that's the other thing is we have a lot of people that are just sitting back and listening, but they're not involved in some form or fashion to change um, those injustices uh, so that we, more of us can get on bikes. <laughs> The bottom line. Um, Lena, I, on the, I guess, exciting and, and kind of adventurous note uh, with your virtual tours that hopefully one day soon can turn into real, you know, biking activities. Um, are you looking at historic uh, Black locations in Los Angeles uh, to kind of put on the map? Uh, definitely. I mean, I am, I, I will be honest though and say, uh, that I am uh, um, a bit hesitant mm -hmm. um, to share certain spaces uh, with the general public. That's true. Uh, because That's true. I don't want um, our culture to be viewed purely as tourism. Um, and for gentrifiers to come and say, hey, I want to now, you know, invest in this community. I don't want to give any fuel to the fire. Um, right, 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 but right, right. Um, I definitely want to. Um, highlight places, some historic uh, places that um, people um, may or may not have, you know, sort of checked out. Um, usually when I'm doing uh, tours around um, Black LA or Black history in LA, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely like to include the Biddy Mason Memorial um, over uh, in downtown oh, yeah. LA. Yes, um, yeah. Biddy Mason, I like to refer to, I don't know if we can use the AAS word on, um, on the podcast, but I like to refer to her as a very bad mama jamma yes. um, <laughs> uh, who provided, you know, lots of inspiration uh, for folks, uh, you know, being, um, you know, someone who purchased, you know, her freedom um, from her, you know, from her owner. Um, she purchased land uh, and all things. Oh, awesome. We can use all words. Okay, so <laughs> yes. okay. I do want to say that. <laughs> right, um, right. Like so always, you get beeped out. Uh, emphasize, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> emphasize that uh, when I am uh, doing those tours. Um, I also like to hit up some spots on Central Avenue. Uh, there are, uh, there's the African-American um, firehouse on Central Avenue. Um, there are several jazz um, spots, well, places that jazz spots used to be. 
uh, yeah. because they're no longer uh, in existence or standing. Um, yeah. And uh, the Dunbar, um, obviously, um, you know, uh, so yeah, having yeah. folks, um, you know, hit up those spots. But for the self-guided tours that I'm trying to um, curate right now, uh, we're focusing uh, a little bit uh, more on art uh, and street art. Um, and some of the beautiful, you know, sort of pieces that tell really uh, intricate stories about, you know, history and culture here in LA. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we have one that we're doing um, an East LA mural ride. Um, okay. And we're also working on a South LA mural ride um, that will include some really beautiful pieces. Uh, one that we uh, visited when we did the Dijon Kizzy's ride uh, for his memorial. One of the meetup spots uh, outside of Good Friends uh, is a really beautiful uh, mural. Um, and uh, it has a lot of really beautiful quotes on it. But one of the one, uh, the piece that means or resonated most with me, it says freedom won't wait. Um, and uh, it's a quote that, you know, always, you know, sort of is in the back of my mind when fear, you know, comes up, uh, freedom won't wait. Uh, and everything we desire is on the other side of that fear. So, and that's my freedom. So, you know, wow, that quote wow. means, a, you know, I really, it means a really, it means a lot to me. So I'd like to, you know, really incorporate that uh, piece for uh, folks. Yeah, that, that sounds really, I can't wait to, to see, um, you know, what you guys create. I know you're going to be going out and kind of doing scouting uh, this weekend, right? Was that Definitely. this weekend that you're going to, yeah. Yep. So, on Sunday, so. we're going to be doing that. Yeah. And I would say, you know, what, what's so interesting about us having this conversation and the fact that, you know, we are connected um, with the various, uh, I guess, activities and, and community-based organizations throughout the city is, is how our conversation intersects. Because I visualize as you're talking about, um, you know, those that have to bike and have no choice. And from a standpoint of a bike is their form of transportation uh, versus those that have a choice. And so our perspective is different when we are on a bike or walking as it is when we are driving. And we come closer to our land and our community when we move around in space, you know, just as a, a human body and our human experience is different. And so I think that also is why uh, the work that I do at the Neighborhood Council, you know, I see the trash on our street that could be a bike lane um, or the tore up um, pavement and curbs and cement um, and, and on certain streets throughout my community, which I know we have many communities like this. And these communities, it's not a coincidence that these communities are falling apart. Um, it's been years of decaying that where there is no investment in those communities. And that's when they turn into disenfranchised communities. And if we look as if they, you know, when I was younger, I was like, man, you know, I have to go to another community and hang out because I really don't like the feel you know, of this community. And, but at that time I didn't connect it to the history um, of why this misused space, like a stepchild um, is the way that it is. And so, you know, I know we've had these conversations um, and people for mobility justice along with other advocacy work but many of these communities have been uh, the result of why we are the way we are today is redlining, you know? Um, and so I know we've tapped into that. There's no, it's not a coincidence. It's not a, uh, it is a, not a non-intentional consequence. It is a strategy. It was a strategy that uh, began back in the 1930s and 1920s. And, and, and basically, but came to life in the 1930s that these red line communities where, where um, the discrimination and racism that existed pushed black people in to live in these communities along with other people of color. And also that no money would be put into these uh, communities. And so when That's we, why, you know, so why, how can we ride a bike? 
So I guess, you know, how can we ride a bike? How can we be outdoor athletic people from that perspective when our environments um, have created barriers for us to do that? So I just wanted to note that through the Neighborhood Council, the work that I am doing, you know, is to also be able to connect to the resources um, that are out there for everyone, for all neighbors um, in neighborhoods to contact 311, take pictures, you don't have to be a black person to take pictures. You can be, I mean, a baby, you know, five-year-old that knows how to operate a cell phone can take pictures of uh, community disenfranchisement, um, trash, uh, things that are not healthy and send it to 311 and have them come out and begin the process of advocating and cleaning your neighborhood. So this is just kind of that call I wanna put out uh, for our um, community at, at large. Everyone in Los Angeles and Los Angeles County has access to 311. This is how you can start helping us um, when in our communities. If you want to play a role as an advocate when you're rolling through our community, when you live in our community, you know that you actually too, anyone can report where you see um, injustice, you know, where you see um, mobility injustice. That would be 911. <laughs> for any type of mobility injustice that you see. It is something that we have to do together. And for those that um, truly understand that and believe that. And so I think um, just to, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, Lena, um, with your virtual tours and your riding, the spaces need to be improved so that you can ride more, so that we can ride um, more. And I know that we are down to the last minute and this has been a great conversation. It's not the end. We're gonna be here every Friday. We're gonna invite some guests to come on and join us um, in our conversations uh, moving into 2021, which you know we're looking at it as a, a time of transition um, and a time of, of the word I, I use is uh, regenerative, which means that we're, we're working with each other, we're helping each other and so much healing is needed. I think that was what Lena, you and I and Pauletta and um, Michaela talked about, you know, in our first session, because you guys were my first guests um, in terms of all those healing components yeah. of it. So if you want to share just the contact information um, for PMJ um, or anything else that you think folks should know before we wrap up this evening. Uh, yes, and I'd like to quickly tell you, uh, PMJ is a Black Indigenous People of Color organization that sees critical consciousness about mobility justice across all communities. We envision a world where people have the freedom and resources to move in public spaces with love and dignity. I can be reached at lena at mobilityjustice.org. Uh, we are on the socials uh, on Instagram and Facebook uh, at People for Mobility Justice. Uh, you can find us on our website, peopleformobilityjustice.org. Uh, definitely check us out. Check out, you know, the classes that we have coming up, you know, definitely. sign up for uh, emails. And thank you. Awesome. Awesome. This has been great. Uh, I would just like to share the information on me. Most folks know I'm Yolanda Davis Overstreet. Actually, for those of you that um, would just like to talk to me directly about the work that I'm doing, you can actually find me on LinkedIn. Um, also, my uh, email is ydavisoverstreet at gmail. Dot com. You can find a lot of the advocacy work that I'm doing at Ride and Living Color um, down on Facebook and also on Instagram. And we have some great, uh, some more surprises coming up in the coming weeks. And we just thank Nick and Don. Once again, it's just so good to be back and um, be on your platform, Bike Talk platform. And um, we look forward to the coming weeks. Awesome. It's great to have you back, Yolanda. Great conversation. Seeing you, yeah, and uh, thanks to you and and Lena and you guys. You know, we'll see you next week. I don't know about. I mean, hopefully, yes. we'll see both of you guys next week. Yeah, or it's both just of you. Us. Or okay, no, great. It's both of us. She's. I, I've. I've put cool. her on. Yeah, she's. She's with me this month. Thank you, Lena. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to seeing you all next week. Okay, thank okay. you guys. Bye bye. All right. Take care. All right, that was. Lena and Yolanda, and we're going to see them next week, and we're stoked to see Yolanda back. So that's this is good. Things are looking up. Nick, why don't we take it out? Bike Talk KPFK live stream. We'll see you all next week. I rise in the morning and greet the day. Pull out the bike that I'm on my way. The
and George. Fred. They forgot George. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. That reminds me, I gotta join Bike Commuter.